Welcome. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest. And if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. If you're a friend, if you're a family of uh, some of our Northwest folks, we're thankful that you're coming here this morning to celebrate with us. And the songs that we've sung, the prayers that we've prayed, the scriptures that we've read already this morning. We do that because we believe it's true. We believe that God is alive. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We could have stayed in bed. We could have gone to a nice restaurant to have brunch. We could have spent time with our families and our friends this morning, but we are here and we do this, not just this morning, but every Sunday morning, because we believe that God is alive, that God is here, that God is involved in our lives and in this world. A couple days ago, we gathered together to remember Good Friday. And if you were there uh, with us Friday night, uh, we met in a, in a sanctuary at a local church, and we, we turned the lights down, and we were in darkness. And we read scriptures, and we sung songs that reminded us of death. And we didn't try to rush out of that. We didn't try to hurry through that. We didn't try that night to get to this morning quicker than we ought to. But we were forced to sit and to remember darkness, to acknowledge the death of Jesus. There, there weren't many good vibes on Friday night. But this morning it's different, right? This morning I see some guys in here with their shirts tucked in. I see some ladies who always look nice, but who are wearing some special dresses. I see the kids look a little bit nicer. We have some beautiful flowers out there. We're, 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 we've got a little spring in our step this morning because this morning is a celebration. This morning is different. This morning we acknowledge not death, but we celebrate life. We celebrate life. And if you think about this, uh, probably in our Christian calendar, Christmas is the holiday that we most get into, right? We celebrate Christmas. We do a big deal out of Christmas. Uh, we, have, we, we look forward to Christmas for weeks before December 25th. And yet, Easter, we celebrate maybe one day. Maybe on Saturday we start thinking about Sunday. But I want to offer this to you this morning if you were to take away the holiday of Christmas, our celebration of Christmas, you would take away two chapters at the beginning of Matthew, the beginning of Luke. Important, important. But if you were to take away our celebration of Easter, you would take away the entire New Testament. You would take away the entire Christian faith. And I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I want to explain to you why that's true. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 
And if you're using one of the blue Bibles around you, you can find that on page 487. And if you don't have a Bible, if you want to take a Bible uh, to use and to read throughout the weeks, please take that as our gift to you this morning. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. These women had been at Jesus' crucifixion. They had seen him nailed to a cross. They had watched him struggle in agony on that cross. They had watched him breathe his last breath. They had watched as the guards, just to make sure, pierced Jesus' side with a spear. They had seen the blood and the water come out of Jesus' body. And they came to this tomb expecting to find a dead, lifeless body. A dead, lifeless body. And look at the sequence of events that transpired. There was an earthquake. An angel appeared. An angel rolled this massive, huge stone away from the opening of the tomb, and he sat on it, by the way. I love that that detail is included. He sat on this stone, and the angel spoke to them. The angel spoke to them, and his words were, do not be afraid. Are are you serious? If you had witnessed this, the earthquake alone causes fear. Not to mention an angel. An angel comes, rolls the stone away, and then this angel speaks to you and he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But probably even though this was the most shocking event that they had ever witnessed, that they had ever experienced, you know what? They still hadn't looked in the tomb. 
They still hadn't looked in the tomb yet. And the angel says, come look, because there's no body. There's no Jesus. You came expecting to find a dead man. He's not here. He's not here. When we read on, you see, not only did the angel tell the women, do not be afraid because he's not here. That they see Jesus. They see the dead man they were expecting to find. They see him alive. And he speaks to them. They see him right in front of their faces. And what does Jesus tell them? Don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Matthew tells us that when they saw the angel, they ran in fear. When they saw Jesus, they fell down at his feet in worship. Because the question that everyone would be asking, who comes back to life? Who comes back to life? And the simple answer is nobody. Nobody. Nobody comes back to life. That what, that's what makes this experience so jarring. That's what makes this experience such a shock to the system because it goes against the fundamental reality of everything we believe about life, that it ends. Life ends. Everything dies. We're lucky if we get 70 years, 80 years, maybe 90 years. Maybe you know someone who has reached triple digits, but that's it. Everything dies. And yet here they are standing face to face with a man that they had seen die, and he's not dead. He's not dead. This is probably the first mention of the show The X-Files that you've heard in an Easter sermon. But if you've ever watched The X-Files, it's a story about two detectives that work, two FBI agents that work in the paranormal, the, the extraterrestrial. And these episodes are these two FBI agents hunting down these rumors parsing through all of this data and, and hearsay, and they're trying to find something that is supernatural, something that is paranormal, something that is otherworldly. And there's a moment in these episodes where they find it. It's the moment of discovery, and they come face to face with the thing that they have been hunting for, and there's this look of fear on their faces. There's a shock when they come face to face with something that they cannot understand. Something that is otherworldly. Even though they had prepared for it. Even though their whole careers were about it. When they stand face to face with this phenomenon. There's a sense of awe. There's a sense of fear. There's a sense of wow. Put yourself in the shoes of these women. As they stand there, experiencing something, coming face to face with someone so otherworldly that they didn't have the mental or emotional capacity to handle this. And all of the strength leaves their body so that they can only fall down on their faces in worship. In worship of Jesus. And what does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Why? When everything else in their bodies, everything else in their frame of reference would tell them to fall down in fear. Don't be afraid because this is a good thing. Because this changes everything. This changes everything. Will you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? If you're using the Bibles, page 550. Romans chapter 8. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes this world. It changes the past. It changes the present. It changes the future. It changes us. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes this, starting in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. Let me stop right there. When Paul uses the word body, he means body. This physical body. He says the body is dead because of sin. The body is plagued by disease, by decay, by weakness, by limitations. The body experiences the effects of death. And everyone in this room realizes that. Every one of us in this room is experiencing that to some degree. Because what is true about everyone in this room and what is true about everyone who has ever lived and ever will live is that from the moment we enter this world, we are leaving this world. From the moment we are born, we start to die. The moment we are born, we start to die. And this is not just a human biology thing. The world that we live in is dying. The world that we live in is dying. I mean, just pull up social media, turn on the news in the evening, and all we see is another war, more disease, poverty, starvation, slavery, worldwide. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter what race you're a part of. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what your worldview or your religion is. All of these things are problems that are common to this world, past, present, and future. Innocent people are killed. Families are ripped apart. Evil men, evil women profit from the oppression of those who are less fortunate. All of the isms that we experience, racism, culturalism, classism, sexism, this cycle over and over and over again throughout history of pushing others down so that we can get ahead. And even in America, we can look around and we can say, well, man, I'm not experiencing that. We're not experiencing that in this country. But take a second to look around this room. Take a second to look around this room because there are people in this room who are dealing with sickness and disease personally, in their family, with their friends. There are people in this room who are experiencing relational conflict with their family, with their mother, with their dad, with their sons, with their daughters, sisters, brothers, the people at work, neighbors. There's people in this room who have experienced abuse and abandonment, marriages, in this room that are hard, that are difficult, kids that are struggling, people grinding it out, 
just to make ends meet each week. People who are living on the edge. Is that you? Is that you? For thousands of years, humans have tried to provide a solution to these problems. I mean, that's the goal of innovation, right? That's, that's, that's what we are seeking, is to overcome the hardships of living in this world. To overcome the difficulty of being human in this world. And we can celebrate some wins. We can slow down the aging process. We, we are able to treat disease today, diseases today that wiped out whole populations and groups of people just a couple of hundred years ago. We're providing drinkable water and sustainable food sources for people who have never had that before. We are offering worldwide better access to education that people have never had before. And we should applaud these innovations. And we should support men and women, some of you in this room who are involved in these things, who are out in front of these advances. But we also have to accept the reality that it will never end. Because it never has. These are just the same problems that present themselves with different layers of complexity. The same things that we're dealing now with now, people dealt with a thousand years ago. It just looks different. It's just a different scale. The reality is it never ends. For every new disease we find a cure for, another one pops up. Each generation has had its own oppressive regime, its own Hitler, its own Stalin, its own Kim. New technology that catapults us into the future, that makes so many things possible, brings with it its own moral and ethical problems that we have to deal with. And that is why we remember Good Friday, right? That's why we remember Good Friday. We don't brush it aside because these problems are real. We don't just pretend that everything in this world is okay and we put on a happy face and we just think positive thoughts. We have two feet planted firmly in the reality that life is hard and that we live in the shadow of death. We live in the shadow of death. But look at what Paul says here. Although the body is dead, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here this morning. Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus provides the answer that human beings have never been able to provide. The resurrection of Jesus brings life and it defeats death. It defeats death and it brings life. If the Spirit of God is in you, Paul says here, your ultimate destiny has changed. It's not death, but it's life. 
It's not death. It's life. And the error here sometimes that we run into in a lot of Christian context is when we talk about life in this ethereal way, that the life Paul is talking about here is, you know, we're someday we're all, you know, wearing diapers and we're in the spirit realm and we're playing a harp and we're sitting on a cloud for the rest of eternity. And it's abstract and it's, it's out there and it's like, who would want that life? But Paul says that Jesus Christ through his spirit, gives life to your mortal body. The body who has experienced and will experience death. Because a real Jesus came out of a real tomb with a real resurrected body to touch and to feel. A real body. And because that is true, God will give life to our real bodies. We will be transformed. We will be changed into what God originally intended us to be. Perfect. Perfect. Without spot. Without blemish. Liberated from frailty, from limitations, from weakness, from death. And not just us. This whole world will be made new. This whole world will be changed. And this whole world will be ruled by a gracious, loving, and just king for the rest of eternity. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your bodies. And think about what this news would mean for people reading this letter of Paul. Think about what this news would mean for people in this world today, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who live every single day in the pro with the prospect of death. The reality that their body could be imprisoned, that their body could be beaten, that their body could be killed. But like Jesus, one day God will resurrect that body into one that will never experience pain or death again. If we were to stop right here this morning, that would be enough, right? Like that would be hope. That would be hope. That would be something to look forward to. But Paul says, wait, there's more. There's more. Notice in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells. What, what tense is that? Present tense. If the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit who will resurrect our bodies someday after we die lives in us now. Lives in us now. And that changes our reality now. Look, go on to verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, 
Not to, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. As long as we live in this body, we will be at war against physical, relational, and spiritual death. We just got done talking about that. Just because we believe in Jesus doesn't mean that everything goes away, that all the bad things go away, that life just becomes all good and there's no problems and there's no pain or suffering ever again. Sin is an ever-present reality in us and around us. And let me ask you, is there anyone here this morning who is struggling with the discouragement of sins that continue to plague you over and over again, that you feel like you just can't shake? Is there someone here this morning who is in relational conflict with someone because of your selfishness, because of the selfishness of someone else? Are you here this morning and you feel like you're getting ground up by your life, your job, your family, your bills, your responsibilities? Is there anyone here who feels like it's all you can do to get out of bed in the morning and face life again? Is there anybody here who's ever experienced that? When we are ready to throw in the towel, when we're ready to give in to what's easy, when we're ready to just take what we want and to hell with everybody else, Paul says, stop. Stop. Because there's hope. There is hope. The Spirit who will give us new life in the future is giving us life now. The Spirit who will resurrect our bodies one day has started that resurrection now. He started it now. God hasn't left us by ourselves to just wade through the troubles of this life. He's not up in heaven and saying, hey, I'll see you when you get here. Until then, it's on you. Figure it out. Do your best. I'll see you when you get here. He's our Father who loves us. He's our Father who wants us to experience a glimpse of heaven now. A glimpse of that life that we will live in for eternity now. When we fall into despair and we feel like we can't weather the storms of life. When we hurt and when we grieve over the loss of a loved one over the loss of our dreams, over the loss of opportunities that we thought we had. When the evil of this world seems to crush us, it seems too overwhelming for us to do anything to change it. When people turn their back on us, when we want revenge because we've been hurt, remember, Paul says, we don't have a spirit of fear. 
We don't have a spirit that has left us in slavery, chained up by death and decay and sin. We are called sons and daughters of God. A God who loves us and a God who knows what it means to suffer. A God what it, who knows what it means to grieve. And a God who knows what it means to die. That is our Father. And through prayer, through the scriptures, through community and friendships and relationships with people who are working and waiting and, and trusting God in this life, we can truly live. We can truly live. We don't have to wait till we die. We can live now. We can worship God with our lives. We can love and we can serve others even when we feel like we have nothing left to give. And that is why we make such a big deal of this day. That's why this celebration matters so much to us. But be, because without Easter Sunday, the darkness of Good Friday lasts forever. Without the resurrection, none of this would mean anything. None of it. But because Jesus is not dead, because a real Jesus came out of a real tomb with a real body, we have hope. We have hope not only for the life to come, but for this life now. In John's gospel, we read that there was a time in Jesus' ministry where people just felt like following Jesus was too hard. Understanding what Jesus was saying was just too difficult. And they decided it'd be easier just to go back to their lives, to go do something else. And they left. And John tells us that as these followers of Jesus began to leave one by one by one, Jesus turned to his 12 closest friends and he said, Will you leave too? And Peter's response was this. Lord, to whom would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. In a moment, as we do every Sunday, we are going to take bread and we're going to dip it in this juice. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ this morning, we do that each week because it's symbolic of that answer. That when we look at our lives, the destiny of our lives in eternity and our lives now, when we take a piece of this bread and we dip it in the juice, we are saying, where else would I go? Where else would I go to find life? You, Jesus, have the words of life. Our life, our hope, our destiny is in you. And I want to invite some of you this morning who 
are believers in Jesus Christ, who are followers of Jesus, that maybe this morning as you come and as you take the bread and as you dip it in the juice, maybe this morning it needs to be a renewal of that question. Maybe you're tempted this morning to go somewhere else for life. Maybe you're tempted this morning to seek life in another person, in a career, in what makes you feel comfortable, in what makes you feel secure. Maybe this morning you need to come and as an act of faith say, God, again, I'm coming to you because where else would I go? Where else would I go to find life? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced the life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you and I want to ask you, where else are you going? Where else are you going to find life? And what would stop you this morning from coming as an act of faith to say this morning, Lord, I'm coming to you now. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm going to find life in you. I believe that you are alive. And I believe that there's life in you. Please don't wait. Do it this morning. And then come and talk with me, Pastor Nate, others, and, and begin to figure out. And we can help you, bring you into this community, love you, care for you, show you what it means to live a life in Jesus. There's nothing magic about this this morning. There's nothing, no spiritual powers that are conferred on you when you take this. But in your heart, for those of us who come and take this, we are saying, where else will we go? I only know that life is found in you. We'll have stations to my right and to my left, we will have a gluten-free station in the back for those who need that. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I didn't earn it and I don't deserve it. But you gave yourself for me. You gave up your life so that I could live. You died so that I would never have to experience death. And Lord, we live in the hope this morning that even though our physical body will die one day, that you will raise it up, that you will give us new life. And we thank you for that hope, and we look forward to that hope. But Lord, we also thank you that there is life to be found now. There is life to be lived and experienced now through the help of your spirit. Thank you for this celebration this morning. And thank you that we don't have to live in the darkness of Friday. But we can live in the light and the life of Resurrection Sunday. Because you got up and you breathed and you walked out of that tomb. And you are living today. We praise you. We worship you this morning. 
And I pray that for each of us this morning, we in our heart of hearts would come to you, whether it's for the first time or whether it's again, and say, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. In Jesus' name, amen.